Welcome to Truly Fit. Welcome to the Truly Fit Podcast, where we interview experts in fitness and health to expand our wisdom and wealth. I am your host, Steve Washuda, co-founder of Truly Fit and author of Fitness Business 101. On today's episode, we review keeping your marbles with the author, Cliff Arsenault. Cliff is a 20-year full-time physician assistant. Right now, he specializes in geriatrics. He became very intrigued with cognitive decline, working in this geriatric area. And between his anecdotal research and time and between his actual scientific research, he developed a book called Keeping Your Marbles. And Cliff and I go over a lot of the insights and information he has in that book today about cognitive decline, how to potentially stave off cognitive decline, or help your clients do that if you're a personal trainer who works with the adult senior population. It was a great conversation. With no further ado, here's Cliff and I discussing cognitive decline and his book, Keeping Your Marbles. Cliff, thank you so much for joining the Truly Fit Podcast. Why don't you give my listeners and the audience a background on who you are and what you do in the health and medical space? Sure. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. I am a physician associate, also called a physician assistant. Um, I like the title that I can use uh, in Spanish, which is Asociado de Medico. <laughs> Not that I speak Spanish. I really think that sounds cool. Um, but I'm physician assistant for the uh, since 2006. Um, I actually have a fitness background. Uh, I worked in different Gold's gyms and different uh, uh, personal trainer uh, arenas and then Transition that into healthcare, getting into physical therapy as a as a tech, uh, and just really liked the medicine side um, and taking care of people. That really kind of fit with the idea that I just, you know, you get that thing in the back of your head that says, you know, what you know, I'm supposed to be helping people. Yeah. So I've been trying to honor that, and the the medicine really spoke to me. So I went back to school, been working as a full uh, as a full time uh, physician assistant again since 2006. Worked in cardiology, worked in different internal medicine uh, places, worked in the prison system for a short time. But the last 10 years have been working with geriatrics. And that's really where I think I found my niche uh, or niche, whichever <laughs> part of the country you're from. Um, and it's just been really rewarding uh, treating treating grandmas and grandpas and cute little folks like that. Um, and, and the medicine is different. You cannot treat a person who's 85 the same you would treat someone who's 45 uh, or even 65. And I, I have a handful of people over the age of 100. And uh, that is a true honor to be able to, 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 to take care of somebody who's in that, that age range. And, uh, and, and the ones I have right now are that kind of good 100, uh, right, that you, everybody would like to be. You know, they got some arthritis, but I don't blame them uh, at that age. But uh, they all still have all their, their, their smarts with them. Uh, and so it's been a, uh, it's just been a privilege. I think it's, to be able to it's work. such an important thing to do to work in that niche or, or niche, uh, of geriatrics as, as far as personal training is concerned, that's who I prefer to work with. And I think one reason why is because you could call it selfishly, you learn so much because you're talking about people who've, you know, lived a full life. So you're getting the full spectrum of what they're dealing with now, what they've dealt with in the past. And you can kind of look at their entire health history to see where they are now. And that, that helps you as somebody who is in the medical and health space kind of understand the inevitability, for lack of a better term, of what somebody is going to enter into later in their life. Oh, yeah. And the perspective you get when you have somebody who is uh, 85, 90, 95, you know, they're they don't tend to mully grub about the past. Um, and honestly, they're not too stressed out about the future. They are really got that whole Zen moment to moment. Here we are, we're doing this now and we're doing this now and now we're going to do this. And um, their life gets in a good way, gets, gets simplified, yeah. right? Uh, in that, you know, winning good way that, you know, that we're just going to do this and we're going to hang out. We're going to enjoy this moment. And then we're going to do something else later on. And we're going to enjoy that moment. And for me, that has been one of the greatest things to learn and be re-reminded and re-reminded uh, of working with the older population. It's one of the good things. About yeah, they do all those happiness studies. Uh, you can poke holes in all of them, but uh, most of them come up with the somewhat between the mid-30s and the mid-50s. People are actually the unhappiest in life, and that could be because you have 
maybe kids at that point, you have a lot of financial stressors. If you're balancing sending, let's say, kids to college and you have assets and you're thinking about retirement, maybe you're second guessing your career choices. But typically when you get into that retirement age, there's a, another sort of like second life of, of happiness where people consider, like you said, maybe because you have less things on your plate. Right. Yeah. And there's a the, the, what they call the sandwich generation right now, right? Where you are you're raising kids on the one hand, but then you're having to take care of this happy old person mm. or unhappy old person. Uh, you've got mom or grandma uh, uh, in the other bedroom, and then you got your kids in this bedroom, and then you're having to juggle taking care of both of those. And, and that is stressful. Uh, and that's one of the, and, and we're all terrified of being that old person who's a burden on their family. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I wrote the my book is to give people hope and, 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 uh, the idea that we don't have a great uh, imagination, I've heard this from a couple other people and I still think it's true. Um, we don't have a great imagination towards being a healthy old person, hmm. right? We, as a nation collectively, if you talk with, you know, you stop 10 people on the street, you're probably gonna get a bunch of people who are like, well, I hope I die uh, at age, you know, 30 or someplace <laughs> like that, right? Um, where where, uh, where they, they don't wanna be that broken down old, person um and nobody does uh, but very rarely do you have that person who that's their goal uh to be the healthy uh uh grandpa or grandma i my wife sent me that video it's been out a couple of years now it's that german company i don't even know what they're selling uh but it's that grandpa who starts working out with a kettlebell uh every day uh and you you find out at the end of it he goes you go through a whole season of it Basically, he's lifting his kettlebell um, so that he can pick his granddaughter yeah. up and help her put the star on the Christmas tree. Oh, I was just a puddle because yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's what I want to be. I want to be the the healthy grandfather uh, who can pick his kids up, who can get down on the floor and, and wrestle with them, um, and who can do all those things. Uh, but in order to be that healthy grandparent, you have to be the healthy parent, and you have to be you have to do. There's just things you have to do consistently. Um, to to get to that uh, a, a grandparent who can pick the kid up with uh, you know and, and put put the start you know, the Christmas yeah tree. I echo those thoughts and, and I think the the thing that's also missing sometimes and we talk about this a lot in the podcast is why do you want to have the most money when you're the least capable of using it so people focus on saving up their money for their entire lives I have a four hundred one k retirement but they don't look at their body like they look at their bank account. And they slowly let their body slip away, or maybe even their mind, which we're going to get into now. Yeah. So they're not practicing good good health for their mind and body, only for their bank account. They get to be 70. They're, they can't wait to take that trip to Rome. But guess what? They have type 2 diabetes. They have to get their foot cut off. They, uh, they're, right. they're starting to become dementia. They're, they forget half of their bags and luggage. And that trip to Rome doesn't seem as fun anymore. Yeah. And I that has been... That's another thing that you learn when you start working with the older population is people who do put off their whole entire life uh, and personally and also their health, just like you're saying. I Far too many heartbreaking stories of, yeah, they they finally retired and they get to enjoy their retirement for two months, three mm -hmm. months, um, sometimes that. Of course, and then their retirement is they finally sit down on the easy chair and just kick back and, you know, just, I don't know what they're doing. You know, they're just going to sit there watch daytime TV, which no wonder they have a stroke after yeah. that. Um, Cause that's one of the things I tell all my patients and, and, and just quit watching TV. Um, that That's just terrible for you. Not, not, and especially the 24 hour news channels don't, whichever one you, whether it's going to the right or to the left, just turn them all off. And that's um, better for everybody, better for the nation, better for everybody. Yeah. So as a PA who now works in uh, geriatrics, you're seeing this, uh, let's call it cognitive decline in a lot of your patients. What is kind of the first step or the some of the first signs that you typically see in patients? Well, everyone's going to have those what they call senior moments or brain farts or whatever they want to call it. And and that is going to be normal as we get older. You just get a head full of stuff. Um, as I heard one person say in an interview, the, uh, your librarian has to go and search through more shelves in order to find the materials. And that makes sense. And, and everyone's going to have that every once in a while. You're going to get go into the room and like, oh, what am I doing in here? Um, and, and that's normal, right? Um, the joke that we tell is this, if you are... Um, um, if you're still remembering that you forget, then you're doing okay. It's when you're forgetting that you forget, and that's when you're having more problem. Um, but so we're all going to have those little senior moments, and that's that that can be typical. But when you're 
getting a whole day full of them, right? Um, when it's really starting to compromise what you're trying to do, uh, when you go into the room and don't remember, so you go back and then you come back in and I still don't, you come back and you still, I still don't remember. Uh, I use my mother-in-law as a good example. She was diagnosed with uh, dementia very early. Um, you know, she didn't make it to her, uh, didn't make it to 70, right? Uh, so in her mid sixties, she's really just starting to fall apart. But if you go back in time, which is what happens, right? You, you look backwards on their life when she was in her mid or late forties, early fifties, um, she was keeping the books for her husband's job. She was homeschooling her kids. And then all of a sudden she couldn't come up with the big elaborate, um, um, lesson plans like she used to. She couldn't uh, keep all the books balanced, and and then she just starts to slowly, you know, just kind of uh, the world starts getting smaller and smaller, and you withdraw more and more. And that's one of the problems that people with cognitive decline have. You get into conversations with people, and you notice that well, I can't remember their name anymore, and uh, I can't remember their name anymore, and oh, I have this funny joke, and uh, I just forgot the punchline again, and uh, okay, what is that? And then we restart, and then interactions get really difficult right uh and, and and embarrassing so people will start to withdraw which is one of the worst things that we can do um for general health but also specifically for your brain health and your emotional health um and i'm also a big believer there's not a difference in between your brain health and your emotional health and your physical health um and i think that's one of the reasons when people are trying to prevent uh cognitive decline trying to prevent and treat dementia they're going at it as a one dimensional, where we're just gonna do this one thing and it's gonna work. And that does not work. We know that to be absolutely certain. You have to come at it from a bunch of different angles in order to have any sort of hope uh, reading this thing. So as you are a younger person, um, and as I get older, the definition of younger changes, mm -hmm. right? Um, but when you start hitting that middle age, um, you can start to really um, have these, huh, like I'm having now, Oh, where you have it. I always love it. And I, I love that happen when it happens when I'm talking with, especially with new patients talking about memory loss, and blank out. And like, ah. um, but that happens to everybody. But if I get to the point where all of a sudden I just can't do interviews like this anymore because I'm like, bah, oh, anyways, and then, you know, uh, puppies are good, you know, and you're struggling to find the words. Um, then you're really starting to have a problem. Now, the bad news is you could be starting to have a problem. And, and family members are really good with this. When people are starting to ask you, hey, are you sure you're doing okay? Oh, yeah, I'm fine. And as men, typically, stereotypically, uh, we do tend to ignore things slightly more than we do, uh, though I know plenty of women who are in denial as well. Um, but, you know, it's you really have to kind of pay attention to things. Um, but when you're in those beginning stages, one of the reasons I wrote the book is that that's when your brain is... Uh, most uh, amenable, most uh, the best time to start treating the brain correctly, doing the body correctly uh, for, well, I was going to say decades, but for hundreds of years, right? We thought of the brain as this little black box attached to the body. And, you know, it didn't really matter what was going on down here. The brain was, you know, just perfectly preserved and not attached. Uh, and we know that to do not to be true. If you're treating everything down here badly, chances are up here is a mess too. Um, so if you're smoking all the time, um, now is a wonderful time to stop. Yesterday would have been better for you to stop, but you know, stopping today is really, really good. But again, it's not just affecting your heart and your lungs, it's affecting everywhere the blood goes, right? And that affects your brain. Uh, same thing if you are uh, overdoing it on the alcohol, and there's actually some, you know, uh, I didn't include it in the book because the, the, I think kind of the jury is still out, but there's still some things where like maybe... We don't have a safe alcohol limit like we used to think that we did, right? You used to think one glass of wine a day was good for the brain, and now maybe not. We don't know. I didn't put it in the book. I don't want to put these little, throw these things out and make it more confusing. The whole point of the book, um, called Keeping Your Marbles, I haven't said that yet, um, is to provide hope and to give people a, a, a sense of direction as to what can happen. So if you find yourself where you are uh, forgetting more often, uh, where you're getting up and you're trying to do like a talk that you've done forever, or you're trying to do a job that you've been doing for decades. And you're like, okay, well, that's the next step. Um, uh, picking on my mother-in-law again, cause I can do that cause we, I loved her. Um, but she had this really fast decline. She used to be just an outrageously great Southern cook, right? 
Now, I say southern cooked because that requires huge amounts of butter and uh, uh, and other things that we all know aren't going to be exactly healthy. But she was a great and fantastic cook, right? So put some butter, fry it, and then it's going to be great. But she got to where her meals got a little less complex. Uh, and, and even to the point where she was just like, couldn't sequence, right? Recipe she's been doing for decades. Suddenly she can't remember the next step and gets overwhelmed and gets lost in the middle of the cooking process. And just even looking at the recipe and just the idea of gathering all that. If you find yourself where you're just looking at something where you, man, this used to be easy. Uh, and now you feel like you just bought the new Lego set and they lost the instructions and you're just staring at it like, uh, I don't know what to do next. Um, then it's time to really start to buy my book and to really just start looking though at um, things to do to increase your overall health because it's the overall health. There are some specific things you can do for your brain, but as a, a, a making a joke, um, it, it, it's radical stuff like getting a good night's sleep. It's amazing the data on sleep, uh, dealing with your stress. For me, when I'm writing the book, we all kind of know that exercise is good for us, and we all know that, that you know eating a certain way can be really more helpful. But for me, the uh, the the, it, the literature and the research on meditation was the more revelatory for me and the more exciting because you would have these people who would start meditating, right? Um, and, and, and it's not that they don't have to get the, you know, get the smoke sure. you know, and do the little sensor, the incense burning and everything. You don't have to get the gongs um, or the little chiming bowls, though. If somebody, you know, I want one of those for my birthday. So it's in July. But uh, you don't have to do that. Ten minutes just trying to organize your thoughts, just trying to that mental exercise of noticing that you're. Uh, uh, you're getting distracted, so you come back to your breath, and oh, I'm getting distracted again. Their brain scans would improve, right? Their brains get bigger, especially the hippocampus, and the hippocampus is one of those things that we can do. So if, I'm getting ahead of myself, but uh, I get excited about this stuff. If you, so my typical workout for when a person would come into the office, um, you do a brain scan, make sure it's not a brain tumor, right, because you're going to treat that a little over a lot differently. Uh, and there's some other things, you know, so uh, you make sure that it's not like your thyroid is in the toilet or anything like that. Um, and then one of the things you can do is there's the brain looks a certain way on MRI, depending on what type of cognitive decline that you have, right? So if you have Alzheimer's, your hippocampus, which is the center of emotion uh, and helps with your memory, obviously, it looks kind of shriveled up. Uh, or if there's big other big holes in the brain or something like that, then you've had a stroke or you know, frontal temporal lobe dementia or all the other flavors. Um, but it, it, on these brain scans, you'd have people who just meditate, right? Just sit there, chill out for 10 minutes, uh, not even 30 minutes, nothing, nothing super aggressive. Um, and their brain scans would show that their brains would actually increase in size. Uh, the hippocampus would actually get healthier, get bigger. We don't have a pill in Western medicine, uh, that can do that, Right. Um, if they did, man, it would be a blockbuster and everybody flying off the shelves, right? Um, and we don't even have supplements that can do that. We have some supplements that can help. And I do put a, have a supplements chapter in my book. I didn't, I almost didn't put it in there because supplements are supplemental, right? You're not going to be able to fix the problem uh, by taking a handful of pills. And I write about in the book and I talk about it a lot because I have this guy, I had this patient um, for years. Uh, and he just broke my heart every time I saw him. He was a young guy. He had just barely, he was, uh, he may have been late fifties, early sixties. Um, and he was just declining very fast, had a family, um, should have been prime in life, but his, he just can't, he's just losing it where he just can't keep up with work anymore. He's, he can't do the, he just simple little tasks like arithmetic and just, you know, help the kids with homework. Can't do it anymore. Uh, having trouble holding on to his emotions, right? Uh, because as I talked about, um, if you have uh, a different type of, uh, a different, if you have, uh, I was, I'm, stop me if I'm going, if I'm no, you're fine. Or, or I'm not quit when I quit making sense. Um, so with the emotions part, and I'll get back to it because this goes back, back into the meditation part, which goes back into the brain uh, recovering. So you have, uh, let's say you have 80,000 neurons that help you control your depression and anxiety right? Probably more than that, but I'm really bad at math, which is why I went into medicine. So 
at 80,000 neurons and they, they start out and they, uh, depending on what is, what type, what flavor of dementia that you have, uh, or even Parkinson's, one of the other things that cognitive decline, which is why I put that in the title. Um, you go from 80,000, then you go down to 8,000. Okay. Well, you can still kind of keep it together, but you're having some trouble. And then you're going to go down to 800, right? Maybe you'll go down to 80 and that's bad. And then you really have trouble, um, focusing and controlling your emotions, right? Just physically, right? Not, not even just the horror of what's happening to you, but you just physically can't control the depression and anxiety because you've got the job of 80 neurons trying to do the job of 8,000 or 80,000 yeah. neurons. Uh, and you just, you just can't keep up with your depression and your anxiety. So this was part of this guy's problem. And he's taking a, a, just a page and, and, and I've had more than one patient who do this. Here's my page of supplements, right? Some of them are good, you know, vitamin B12, vitamin D, right? So you got some turmeric and you got some other things that are going to be good. And then you got some other things like the ground up jellyfish and uh, other things like that that are just, okay, whatever. Um, and they don't work. It's a problem, yeah. right? Uh, it, so it, 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 people always ask me about, well, they got this pill on TV and they got more pills on TV because people are terrified of losing their memory. And if they really did work, right um if they really did stop cognitive decline cold you know there would be parades right there you know there it wouldn't be this little facebook ad that pops up it would be you know your doctor would be handling you know it would be this huge deal there'd also only be one not something there'd that, also only be one there wouldn't be a need yeah. for 15 if if we found one that worked you wouldn't keep seeking one out yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so aren't going to get it done so, but you need a multi-pronged uh, attack to get the, just like you would do if your brain uh, with a body that's unhealthy, right? Uh, you're not going to come up as a, as a, as a person who's trying to get some broken down old wreck of a, of a person, right? Um, they haven't done a push up in years. They haven't even, you know, they can barely get up off the floor or they can't get up off the floor. So you're not going to sign them up for an Ironman, right? Yeah. You're not going to say, well, CrossFit's for you, right? Here you go. You know, so they just break themselves on the first day. Uh, uh, um, we tried that once, though. We tried to go from zero to 60. We signed up before we had kids a long time ago. We were like, well, we're, we think we're fit. We'll sign up for a free CrossFit class. We were wrecked, right? Ten men. We couldn't move for days afterwards. Um, so you can't do that. You can't just jump in and, and just attack that one thing, like the exercise portion, which is important. That's not going to fix the problem, yeah. though. And you can't just go zero to 60 on that. Same thing. You've got to address the problems that are going to be in the diet. You're going to address the problems that are that come from when you don't move the body, uh, when you don't deal with your stress, and when you don't get a good night's sleep. Those four things, you can address them. The whole body gets healthy. And when the whole body gets healthier, the brain's going to get healthier, too. Yeah, I love how you talked about it's a full body, uh, you know, sort of correlated issue and that you have to look at your health you have to look at maybe your uh, toxin, alcohol consumption, smoking, things of this nature. It's not just, you know, it typically one would expect if they ask somebody, hey, what are ways to stave off dementia? That someone would say, here are some brain drills, here are some supplements, and then just continue to do this, right? Rather than say, no, listen, we need to address this from a, from sort of a more, I guess you would call it, I know this term is bad now nowadays, but like a holistic perspective, right? We need to look at the full body, right. see what's going on day to day, make sure your sleep is there, make sure you do have proper nutrition, make sure you're exercising. And then I'm sure also, which you could add to, I'm sure there are some sort of cognitive brain drills that are um, advantageous for one, right? Even if it's simply you uh, working on a day-to-day -day basis and challenging yourself as opposed to you just staring at a TV screen all day. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, as I say, I say it as a joke, but I also mean it. Just staring at the TV, it just, it, I, I really do think it makes you dumber, right? Um, and because and, and, and you're not engaged. If you can learn a new skill, learn, because this year, my one of my, um, my, my resolution for this year uh, is I'm going to finally learn how to play the harmonica, right? I've been wanting to learn the harmonica for years, never take, not that, it, and that's not like playing the concert piano, but, uh, and it's, Hard, but I'm going to carve out that five to 10 minutes so that maybe next Christmas I can play Silent Night or, you know, on the harmonica. Uh, and so that's really simple, but that's a new skill. I'm going to force brain connections, right? I'm going to spark up the brain. Uh, it's going to keep me engaged. It's going to keep me interested. 
Um, and so the little things like that. And again, when you have someone who is starting to have some some temporal uh, 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 um, uh some cognitive problems, um, they withdraw, and their world gets really really small in a bad way. I know we talked about the simplicity that happens when you get to a certain age, because you know life is 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 well, not easier, but your your perspective is better, right? Because getting older in a lot of ways is not easier, right? Your body. If you, especially if you haven't taken care of it, it doesn't work like you really want it to. But the perspective of these ladies who are 100 and 100 plus, uh, whose bodies don't work like they really want them to, but they're okay with it because they're they're pretty happy. Um, so, but they stay engaged. They stay around people. They, you learn something new. Um, I was talking with my wife earlier. It's not just do the crossword puzzle every single day because they used to think that would work, but then they realized. It could just be you're doing the crossword puzzle every day because you can still do the crossword puzzle every day. If you're really having cognitive decline, you're staring at the crossword. And and I'm not good at crosswords, right? It's actually one of the things I'm starting to work on. Uh, and, and so I'm staring at it like, Dah, you know, I don't, I don't know too good, right? Um, and if you're always like that, but I will learn it and I'll pick it up. And I'm doing all these other things to help with my brain. Uh, just like when I was learning how to do the Wordle this year, right? If you start doing that, it, there's a rhythm to it. There's a way to figure that out, uh, and your brain will figure that out, and then your brain can do it. You teach your teach an old dog new tricks. You need to keep teaching your old brain new tricks because it will keep it going. All and like I make the joke um, with all my patients, all the bits and pieces of you that still work, we need them still work, right? So we need to keep them extra exercising. We need to keep them going. Uh, that goes for your brain. All the bits and pieces of your brain that are still working. Well, let's flex those. Let's get those moving. Let's try something new. Let's get excited about things. Uh, and let's have some hope, which again, is the main thing I wrote the book for. Uh, it's not an exhaustive, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty small. It's a pretty, you know, small little book. And, and, and a big chunk of this is the bibliography so that people would, mostly my family, would understand that it's, uh, it's not just a bunch of stuff I made up. Um, but let's have this idea that this can work, that the things can go. Uh, and that positive mindset can also carry you through a whole bunch of problems, right? It's not just going to be the thing that fixes you. But if you go into it like, this is not going to work, we'll try, but there's no way it's going to work. Well, of course it's not going to work. Yeah. Um, so, I worked with a lot of, yeah, so it, I worked with a lot of Parkinson's patients. I just want to add to something you just said. And then, you know, older, older clients going through dementia, but the Parkinson's patients, uh, especially in, in small group classes. And the whole class was really designed around, for lack of a better term, almost like a Simon Says type of situation, right? It was never the same exercise. It wasn't like we were sitting down and saying, you're going to do eight repetitions of bicep curls with these weights. There was always a, ch a cognitive challenge. So it was, yeah. I would be standing up in front of the classroom. I would take two steps to my left one step forward, and then do a motion with my arms. They would follow that. Um, we would go to mm -hmm. the boxing bag. They would have unboxing gloves. I would throw out a combo. One, two, three, slip three. They would have to repeat that combo. Always making sure I was challenging them from a psychological, a mental perspective, right? Cognitive perspective and a physical perspective. And I think that's important for personal trainers. The majority of my listeners should understand is that, you know, it's not just about keeping the their bodies healthy as well, although it is, it's a big part of it, but you don't want to just sit them down at machines and have them press away and do the same exercise every time they come in and talk to them. You, you want to challenge them, even if you, f you see and feel and hear the frustration, like you just said, they might forget what you just said, they might withdraw, they might feel embarrassed, because that seems to be the emotion that comes out that I see when they do forget is embarrassment, but we have to fight through that and continue to help them by challenging them, not wearing kid gloves. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you the, the studies on exercise on old people, not just for cognitive decline, but the ability to take somebody, one of my... Uh, um, a study that was really, really good. Um, it was a study of one, right? Uh, but so it's but they took this old, broken down guy in the back of the nursing home, right? Had cognitive decline, the whole thing. Basically, he went from a self total uh, care patient, had to do everything for him, you know, roll him over, clean him up. Here's the diaper, change the diaper, do the whole thing. And they just started working with therapy and everything and just got him up where he could roll around in the bed and then he could stand up and he went from somebody 
who was just, you know, he was just screaming down towards the end. Um, and he got to where he could walk by himself, maybe with a roll walker, you know, that still counts in my book, right? Uh, especially go from bed bound to someone who can push the walk and then use a cane. Uh, got someone who, so you had somebody who suddenly his quality of life greatly increases. Now, his brain had been damaged uh, quite a bit by whatever the ravages of what that particular pathophysiology that was hurting him was. So he didn't get his brain back, right? But uh, it got, it quit getting worse, right? It slowed the heck down. Yeah. And he went from who was just an accident waiting to happen and someone that, you know, could easily be forgotten in the back of the uh, nursing home to someone who could come out for meals and sit and, and, and at least be around people uh, and, and, and would give it, and just by working with him, right. By doing the little bit of, you know, all the little bit broken bits and pieces of him that were still working, they worked on it. They, they kept him moving. They kept him, they, and he was able to gain muscle mass uh, and he was able to get stronger. Now, was he doing CrossFit? No. Was he banging out knuckle pushups or doing burpees? No. But we're, that's not the goal, right? The goal was for him to be a, a, a functional person again. And, and that was achievable, which is why I also talk about that the brain to a certain amount can heal. We know that now, right? Um, but it's got its limits. And so when you do start to notice these problems creeping in with your memory, the sooner you can jump on it, the better. Right, because your brain can heal some of this damage, but it might not be able to heal all of it. So I have these patients who, um, one of the guys I talked about in the back of the book, pretty bad memory, still knew people, could still, but you know, he just needs, you know, it's time to eat. He can't cook for himself. He can't get his own meals together. He just needs help and queuing. Um, and he got to where he was just extra. He turned. He he attacked the exercise portion. Right. He's riding his bike for hours. He's you know, he, 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 and he's feeling better. He's eating better. They clean up the diet. Um, he's sleeping better. Because if, as you know, if you start exercising, your body will sleep better, right? And it helps to get the little hamster off the wheel in a good way, right? Uh, and you can rest easier. And, and that is amazing. Uh, and so, but his memory really didn't get that much better. And so I tell that story in the book to show that, look, it, it, it might not get better. But if we can't keep you from getting worse, right? Oh, that's good. Now you have some hope. The pills that we have right now for memory, uh, and I talk about this in the book, even the new ones that are coming out, you're looking at um, slowing the progression of the, the, slowing the rate of decline. To them, that is a win, right? Not stopping the decline, right? Um, the two main drugs that we use to treat dementia in this country and everywhere uh, is Aricept or Dinepazil, and Mamantine, right? Um, and what they do is they take somebody whose memory is starting to curve down uh, and they're starting that slide and they try to create a plateau. And they try to hold that plateau or even their own literature says six months maybe, mm -hmm. two years at the moment, right? So your typical Alzheimer's patient, you've got like an eight year from diagnosis to morbidity to their death, you got about eight years. Uh, and so you got a drug which might last two years, right, to slow the symptoms down, right? Same thing with the new ones that are coming out. They'll slow the rate of decline. The underlying pathophysiology, the under underlying forest fire that's torching the brain, still raging on. They can't do anything about that with the pills. But they'll slow that rate of decline down. Uh, and so that's how I pitch it to, started pitching it to my patients is uh and that's how it pitched to people now you can take the standard medical practice and they actually did uh the the finger study which i think is funny because the danish study and for somehow the, the word anyways i don't know how they got it to be finger but um it's easy to remember um they take people and they do the standard medical treatment right and they put that's the control arm and then they get the multidisciplinary uh diet exercise you know the, all the things that we talked about in the book and the only thing that really seems to work. Um, and so you got this multidisciplinary thing versus that one dimensional, here's your pills, you know, and just try to control your blood pressure, you know. And of course, at the end of the study, people on the standard medical uh, decline, get worse. Some of them really get bad. Uh, the people who are on this multidisciplinary thing, 
at worst, get worse slower. Most of them stay where they're at, and a lot of them get better, right? So to me, that is very exciting because of two things. Number one, uh, they get better, which when I really started digging into this, and I talked about it in the book, uh, um, you know, I've been working, I started digging around in this about five years ago, four or five years ago, um, you know, probably at least four years ago, because working with old people can be very, very rewarding. It can also be very, very depressing, right? You have people who decline. Um, you have people who do everything right, um, and you're doing your best, and you're doing they're doing their best according to the medical model that we're taught in, and they still decline, and they still get sick, and they still die. Um, and so I was really struggling with that. So I really started looking at other things that would work, and which is why I came into all these lifestyle changes, um, both for me and for uh, my patients. And so I pitched it to them. Look, I can put you on all the pills, and and you will continue to get worse. You might get worse slower, but you will get worse. Or I called in my guinea pig group, right? And I told him, you're going to be the guinea pig group. We're going to try this radical stuff out. I'm going to want you to eat broccoli. Oh, no. I'm going to, I'm going to want you to stop eating bacon. And I had a guy who cussed me out and like cussed out the whole staff uh, because we wanted him to stop eating bacon. Um, and, and and just crazy stuff like that, like, you know, uh, control your stress levels, you know, do all this, you know, get a good night's sleep and exercise and, and, and eat some, some good food for you. Um, and you might still get worse or you might do just as well, just as bad as the people on the pills, right? Or you might get better. So there's actually, there was hope in getting them to take a walk in getting them to go to good night sleep naturally without having to nuke them with some sort of uh, sleep aid, uh, getting them to control their stress levels. Uh, just the, the, the main four things, right? I would write it out on a little sheet of paper, call it the memory protocol. Um, and if for some people, it was just like, yes, we're going to do this. And when the people would dive into it, again, the same, they would either quit getting worse or they would get better. And I had what I call the poster boy. He was one of the first ones who just, he and his wife jumped on top of it. Did they do everything 100% correctly? No, they did not. Um, were they the ideal paragon of diet and exercise? Uh, certainly not a diet, but they, but they cleaned it up a lot. Um, and they exercised on a regular basis and he did, and he got better night's sleep and we were actually able to pull him off some of his other medications, which was really cool. And Hey, guess what? The less medications you're on, the less side effects you have. All of a sudden you get some spare money in your pocket, right? Cause you're not having to sell it out for the pills. Um, and as your body gets healthier, you use, you, you need less medicine and you actually get healthier. Um, and he got a lot of his life back for several years. Um, was able to go out and do things again, go travel and, and like be, uh, go back to church and go back to, you know, and do all these things. Um, whereas if we adjust, well, I'm going to move these pills around and I can probably adjust the dose and I'll put you up on the maximum dose of this one and be careful because this one's going to give you diarrhea and this other one's going to give you constipation and you just hope that they cancel each other out. Um, and that's the best you can do, right? Which is the truth, right? The, 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 the denepazil causes diarrhea and the memantine causes constipation. So if you get them at the same time, you just kind of hope that they equal out. Um, so yay, who wants to sign up for that? Um, or as I said, you can eat some broccoli and uh, take a walk. And he did get better. It was really, now he, he still had some permanent brain damage, right? Because it'd been a while. He'd had some strokes. So he had some deficits that never really got better. Um, but he got better. Yeah. And, right? I think, and he was able to enjoy a lot. And it's important too, you know, from a, you know, to take sort of a, a zoom out approach from the provider or from the personal trainer or the coach, you know, when a provider says, take the pill, you'll be fine. See, see you in five weeks. There isn't a level of care there. Number one, the patient thinks this is a, this is a fix all problem, right? Whenever someone gives you a utopian solution, run away. Cause there are no utopian solutions, right? So, uh, and number two is, there's not a lot of investment there. So from our perspective, you know, you're a personal trainer, I'm working with someone. You know, I can't control what they do outside of that one hour a day I work with them. But I know that if I show them I care and I'm telling them what to do and that every time they come in, I'm putting in energy and effort to try to help them, that eventually there's a better chance 
that they're also going to help themselves, if that makes sense, right? They see that I'm that I'm trying to help them and they go, you know what? I'm spending the money and time. Someone else is making the, the concerted effort to help me. I am going to sub out that uh, bacon for broccoli. I am going to make sure that I get to bed two hours earlier. I am going to make sure that I, you know, maybe pick the book up instead of pick the TV remote up. And then you could start those chain mm -hmm. of events that ends up being the potential fix, or maybe not, but it's still worthwhile right? For, for that person to, you give them a chance to, to potentially heal their brain or to stave off the, the sort of the rapid cognitive decline and slow it down so that they have, you know, five more years with their grandkids. Yes. Yeah. There is, um, with the, the genetic component of it, um, the APOE4 uh, gene, if you have that one, you have a highly increased likelihood of developing uh, dementia. Mm -hmm right um and that's bad um now and if you get both right one from each parent then your your risk goes from super high to almost a certainty right but thanks to our friend epigenetics right um which is where you know, where the genes are turned off and on by different things that we do different things that you're exposed to um you can activate those genes or you can unactivate them. I don't know if that's the right word, but I'm going to use it from now on. Unactivate them, right? Um, where you can have somebody who, like with my my mother-in-law, she was diagnosed, oh, let's say around 65, right? I think she had just hit Medicare. Um, let's say we were able to push her diagnosis off. Um, maybe we couldn't get rid of it. Maybe. I don't know. But just say. We'll just say. Um, but let's give her five more years, right? Uh, 10 more years. Let's give her 15 more years, right, before she starts. So at 65, have really bad problems. Let's push that off to 80, right? How much more life did she have, right? My kids are young. They're like 10, 12 years old. They would actually know who their grandmother was as a real person, as opposed to someone that they had to babysit, right? Um, how much better would that be? Now, maybe we couldn't get rid of it entirely. Maybe we couldn't Maybe we're just pushing it down the road, but that's okay, right? The alternative is to is to have it all is to her is what happened now. I didn't know all this stuff when she first started getting sick. She's one of the reasons I started studying all this, uh, and, and all my other patients in, in my own family. My you know, dad's had a couple of strokes, and we've got uh, had an aunt who's had dementia for uh, decades. Um, all of us know somebody who's had problems with dementia one of the different flavors of dementia, if not, you know, the bad one, like Alzheimer's or, uh, or even with, uh, with your Parkinson's patients, you can have some cognitive decline with the Parkinson's. Um, and so all of us get touched by this. Um, and, but what I really want to, one of the reasons I wrote the book is to give people the hope with the idea that you can't put the hope in, uh, <laughs> in your doctor's office, right? Um, uh, you, you, you have to take a, a, a large amount of ownership for what's going on with you and with your brain and, and really be your own advocate for what's going to happen here. Because, yeah, as I said, it, maybe we can't cure it, okay? Maybe we can't get rid of it. But we, if we can slow it down until the magic cure happens, fantastic. Or maybe you just have a brain that's a little creaky for 10, 15 years, and then maybe something else takes you out when you're 85. That'd be cool with me too. Um, but right now, this the only thing that really has been shown to work, uh, it is like we say, is moving the body, is eating good food, getting rest and controlling your stress. Um, and, and it's not super, well, I should say on the face of it, it doesn't sound super radical, but for a lot of people, even myself 20 years ago it would have seemed super radical. Right. Um, but it's, it, it's really, but the perspective of, uh, taking 30 pills a day to try and control your symptoms versus, you know, not eating mac and cheese or not, well, not eating mac and cheese at all, right? And certainly not eating like I used to. I used to be like around 260, 270 pounds. So you'd eat the whole box of macaroni and cheese in one sitting, right? That's not healthy, right? Uh, but how many people do that, right? A lot, because they sell a lot of boxes of mac and cheese, right? Um, in every single grocery store. So plenty of people are eating that stuff. Um, and, and it's, all the stuff that's going to hurt your brain, hurt your body, right? Um, clog up your arteries. There's such a vascular component to dementia that anything that's really going to clog your arteries and hurt your heart, is going to clog your brain. 
even with patient zero, right? Uh, that Dr. Alzheimer, right? The uh, German physician uh, who first recognized the symptoms and classified them as a disease. Uh, he, they did the autopsy in the poor lady's brain and he noticed that the brain was full of plaque. The arteries were just clogged. Um, and so anything that's gonna, that we all, and, and we joke about like the quadruple cheese, bacon cheeseburger and like, oh, I feel my arteries harden after I eat it. Ha ha ha. Well, guess what, tough guy? Your arteries really are hardening. Uh, and it's not in the chances of you having that big Fred Sanford uh, heart attack and taking you out like that. It's pretty low. I talked about in the beginning of the book. That's what my grandfather wanted to do, right? He wanted to have that big heart attack and just die when he was still pretty young and healthy. He didn't. He clogged up the arteries in his brain, clogged up the arteries in his heart. He became that sick old man. So we have to take ownership and really start taking care of ourselves uh, with that hope, with that imagination that we can get better, uh, that we don't have to be that broken down old man, that we can be, uh, or broken old, old woman, uh, that, that we can have that, we can be that grandpa who picks up the little girl and puts his, you know, uh, that, that video really, uh, uh, but that strong, vital old person who can be a help to your family instead of being a burden, right? Who can give wisdom to your grandkids, right? Um, who can sit there and, and, and or to your great-grandkids, right? Um, we're missing that in our country. Uh, part of how we've set up our life, uh, but also part of the fact that we're, our, our old people are really, really sick. Yeah. Um, so it, it, a, a generation of healthy old people, I think, would be marvelous and very helpful I think it's coming. to everybody. Uh, you know, be, being in the, the fitness industry, I, I see there, there is a change. It's, uh, let's say, my mother's generation. My mother was born in the 50s. My father as well, early 50s. Mm -hmm. Um, exercise was not really normal towards the latter half of your life. Uh, you know, when you got done playing sports and, uh, it, it was, it was more rare. Like if you were to take 10 or 15 of their friends and put them in a room and say, how many do you exercise on a regular basis? The, the ones who had money did certainly, but the blue collar people did not exercise. Wherein now you're even seeing blue collar people in their forties uh, and fifties and sixties, uh, exercising. And it could be small things like taking walks with their family around the block. And it could be things like CrossFit and, and, or they have a Peloton in their house and all these other things. So like, you know, chalk it up to marketing, but guess what? It's, it is helping people overall. And I think that, you know, the, what goes untalked about is if you're doing something, you're not doing something else. So let me explain that. It's not just the walk that's healthy. It's the fact that if you weren't walking, you probably grabbed a, a bowl of ice cream and sat on the couch, right? So it's like the alternative to those things that you're otherwise doing. And I think that's that's something that people don't think about a lot. It's like, oh, well, what is walking going to do for me? I'm going to burn 200 calories. It's like, well, it's not, it's not the total caloric expenditure of the walk. It's the fact that you're outside of nature. You're not thinking about other things. You're calming your stress levels down. And in addition to that, what are you not doing, right? You're not on your iPhone eating that whole bag of chips you didn't even notice because you were scrolling through videos. And before you know it, 20 minutes went past. The chips are gone. You, you, you did nothing but stare at a phone. So I think that's a, that's a big portion of it. Oh, absolutely. I could not agree more. Uh, we talked about that with, uh, with diet too. Um, if you are eating the broccoli, we'll pick on broccoli cause it's a good one. Uh, it's something everybody can agree on as something as healthy, maybe not something that everybody likes, but you can fix broccoli in a way that makes it tasty, right? Uh, without dumping it in uh, cheddar cheese soup. <laughs> but if you're eating a bowl of broccoli or something like that, you're not eating the ice cream, right? You're not having you know, uh, the 46 ounce, uh, ribeye steak, you know, or something like that. Um, because you're crowding out all those. And that's, that's what worked for me and my wife. My wife was a, uh, can I say she was a Weight Watchers leader? Uh, she was, we don't have, I'm not going to talk bad about Weight Watchers. Uh, but, and we lost a bunch of weight. Um, but that's a very highly processed food type of diet and you don't, and you, and you eat that stuff. Um, and so we both lost a bunch of weight, uh, on that. And, and, but I still, myself, I still had high blood pressure. I still had high cholesterol. Uh, my blood sugars were cruising into the diabetic range, even though I was smaller. But like I was saying, you went from eating the whole box of mac and cheese to the, uh, to, you know, just a quarter of the box of mac and cheese. Um, that's not, you know, yeah, it's better. Uh, but I'm still eating unhealthy food. When we really started, when we really started to trade out, um, more adding more and more plants into our diet, which is really the secret sauce to the whole thing, uh, and crowding out a lot of the bad things and adding more and more plants into there. 
Um, we got better. My blood pressure did. Uh, it's totally normal now. Uh, my blood sugar is totally normal now. Um, and, and the cholesterol is gorgeous, right? All my biomarkers and everything uh, are so much better just because we kept eating more and more real food. And we, and we did it by crowding out um, the bad stuff and just adding more and more of the good stuff. So you don't have to be uh, a paragon of magical eating, right? Um, but like a, a, a doctor I, I, I like to follow and I've read his books, uh, talks about, you know, you flip the plate, right? Uh, and I talk about that with my own patients. Uh, down here in the South, uh, everyone knows what a meat and three is, right? You go to a restaurant and it's a, it's a usually a cafeteria and they get the ice cream scoop out, right? You get a scoop of whatever the mystery meat is. And then you get smaller ice cream scoops of the three vegetables, right? Um, so turn that around. Get the big ice cream scoops of the sides of the vegetables, and then maybe a, the small ice cream scoop of the of the of the meat of the potted meat or whatever it is, right? The mystery meat that you can serve with an ice cream scoop. Uh, uh, but uh, hey, if you do that, it's a good step in the right direction, and you're starting to load up on all the phytonutrients and all the other big multisyllabic words, right, uh, that you get when you eat fresh fruits and fresh vegetables uh, and, thing, and and healthy fiber and things like that. And your body appreciates it. And that's not even going into the quasi-mystical world that we're learning about with the gut biome and all that, which is really fascinating. And, and as a practitioner, I don't really know quite how to use it except for the fact to just eat more fiber and all of a sudden your gut gets happier and you will literally, you can literally get happier uh, with happier gut bacteria. Um, and, and that can impact your brain as well because the, pre the, the depression and dementia so intricately linked, fingers crossed, just realize if no one can see me, um, they're just tied together uh, in a way that's really hard to tell which comes first, mm. right? Um, you're losing your memory and that's making you depressed or you're depressed and so then now you're starting to lose your memory we can't really tell yet. Um, but we know, I'm sure, you know, uh, and your clients know if you exercise your depression and anxiety get better. Right. Um, and when your depression and then your better, your perspective on your memory loss gets better and your memory loss can actually get better. People with, with high levels of depression, their memory loss is worse. I had a patient use her a lot. It, she had, we, everyone thought she had dementia, her, her family. I had my, and I was like, they behave like your typical uh, dementia patient. So we sent her out, got her do that really long memory test, like three hours worth of just IQ testing. It's, it's exhausting, but it's exhaustive. And she was just super duper depressed. So she started to do some things to help her depression. We did have to give her some antidepressants for a little while because um, when you're, when you have a broken leg, a, a crutch is really, really useful. Right. Um, so that helped her kind of prop her up so that she could get motivated enough to do some stuff to help herself. And guess what? As the depression got better, the brain overall, the fog was lifting. Uh, the gears were flowing. Memory got better. Um, is really pretty cool. Um, so the exercise portion to kind of help control, which is why I say it's gotta be all of it. You can't just do, uh, just the the exercise portion and ignore everything else like jim fix right the guy the guy who created the jogging craze in the 1980s and his idea was you could just jog aerobic exercise and it would cure everything he smoked right he still eat terrible but uh i can jog and i can take care of it so he did and of course what did he do he had a heart attack and died wow so you can't just narrow in to decide this one thing that's going to work. have to do a, treat the whole person. Uh, I agree with you. The holistic is kind of a, it's overused and kind of an icky word right now, but the idea of it is to treat all of you in order to fix all of you. I think that's the best way. Uh, and it's not just going to be good for your brain, right? Uh, like I said, even with myself, the things I'm doing help me keep my marbles, which is why I called the book that, uh, but my blood pressure is better. Uh, I'm healthier, right? Did I lose weight? Yeah. Did I get stronger? Yes. Um, but I'm also just healthier. So when I was shooting for health instead of just weight loss, 
then I actually got healthy and then the weight loss became much, much easier. I'm sure you might uh, echo my thoughts and, and feel free to add to this, but you know, the, one of the hardest parts about working with patients who are going into dementia or already have some sort of cognitive decline is, is watching their partners because their partners who do not have that cognitive decline, uh, you know, unfortunately have to be, and I don't like to use this term lightly, but, but babysitters of a sort, and they have, and they have to sit there and they have to be by their side the whole time. And it's, it's very difficult and, um, their lives are impacted by it. So it's even more of a reason why people should really care about their long-term health, both from physically, but also mentally and their cognitive decline and fighting it because, you know, you're, you're going to put that potentially, uh, that burden on your partner down the road. Now, again, not saying that this is all someone's fault and that we can always stave it off, right? We, we know that this is sometimes genetic. We know that it could be inevitable, but, but anything you can do to fight right. that is also in turn potentially helping your, your partner. Absolutely. The rate of burnout, depression, disease, uh, when, you when you are the caretaker, are just astronomically higher than the average person, right? Because you're dealing with having to, your loved one is declining uh, and you got that horror and then you're the only person who's going to, who feels like you've got to take care of them. And so you've got the, the burden of taking care of yourself. You got the, it, it, it is an awful, awful job. So yes, if you want to take care of your, of your partner, uh, if you want to take care of your kids, um, the most least, the most least, the, you know what I'm saying? Uh, the least selfish and the most helpful. That's a better way of saying it. Uh, the best thing you can do would be to take care it's of It's the oxygen mask on the plane, right? Put your oxygen mask on first yeah. before you put your partners on. Right. Absolutely. And uh, going back to the genetics thing, there were, there are studies that have shown that um, if your partner gets dementia, the risk of you you they're over here they have dementia you're not genetic well hopefully well, we're in the south but uh the chance of being genetic right of being related to them are, are probably small uh i'm in i've been living in alabama which is a lovely state but you know we, we have certain stereotypes but um but if, if if your partner has uh dementia your risk the caretaker not genetically linked to them is like over 300 percent right? The chances of you getting it are much, much higher. Why? Because you're both eating a whole box of macaroni and cheese at the same time, right? You're both not eating. You're both, you're both, uh, exercise, you're both not exercising. You're both eating that bowl of ice cream, right? Same um, lifestyle. You're both just sitting. Same lifestyle. Um, and so your risk, and so all the, all that metabolic fire that that is lit in you is also lit inside your partner and their brain is getting torched at the same time. I've seen a lot of couples that, you know, they're both on that same road. They're both starting to, they're both, and, and for a while, this person will have, you know, their deficits will be over here and these other, and so you, they'll make a whole human being for a while, right? Uh, but eventually the, all the wheels fall off and they can't pull it together anymore. So taking care of yourself and making changes that both of you can do. Um, and, and if you're the caretaker, I've seen this a lot too. Well, that's, I don't want to eat their food. I want to keep eating my whole box of mac and cheese. Um, that's not going to work. Right. Um, so that's a whole nother dynamic and relationships and stuff. That's a whole uh, different podcast. Could be a um, second book for you. Yeah. Uh, there you go. <laughs> um, uh, that would be great. And if I figure that part out, that'd be, that'd be great. Um, but the, the idea is, again, we all think it's selfish to take care of ourselves, but it's actually one of the least selfish things that we can do because then you can actually take care of everyone else in your life if, like you're saying, the oxygen mask thing. I think that's really important for people to grasp that, especially if you're in that sandwich generation like we were talking about uh, near the beginning um, where you don't have time. You've got little kids and you've got – and you do have grandma in the, in the upstairs bedroom and, they're, and they're, they're not doing well and – you know, the last thing you want to carve out time for is take care of yourself because you've got to take care of everything else. Wrong. You don't take care of yourself, then, and your wheels fall off, then the whole thing collapses. Cliff, this has been so informative and great information. Why don't you give my audience uh, directives on where they can find your book, where they can reach out to you personally if they have any questions, if you have a website, a social media handles, anywhere where they can find you, Cliff. Sure. The name of the book is Keeping Your Marbles. Um, it's a field guide for preventing and treating cognitive decline. I said it's a it's a very light read on purpose 
Um, I try to dumb, I talk about the science, but I do try to make it as approachable as, as possible. Uh, try to find the humor in it as, as much as possible. Because again, the whole thing is not for you to feel like you've read it. And now you have a PhD in neuropsychology. Uh, it's for you to have that hope, that idea that this is possible, that this is something that can work. Um, the website is www.keepingyourmarbles.info. All one word, keeping your marbles. Um, and then uh, social media presence. We've got a Facebook page, uh, Keeping Your Marbles. Uh, and then it's also one for Keep Your Marbles. I've got both, but that's a whole other. Uh, that's a how not to do a social media launch. Uh, <laughs> well, again, that's a whole other podcast. Um, but uh, you could reach out there. Uh, my Instagram is just CliffA74 because I haven't created that other thing again. Because I've been, I wrote this book while I'm working full time and being a dad and a bunch of other stuff. Um, but I really felt like this was information that needed to get out there. So the main thing, if you just get to the website, uh, www.keepingyourmarble.info, uh, of course the book is on Amazon or all the major booksellers. You can also find it there. I will put all the links in the descriptions of the podcast below. I will also link it every single time I put up some sort of uh, graphic on my social medias. Cliff, thank you so much for joining the Truly Fit Podcast. Oh, absolutely. had a blast. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us on the Truly Fit Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your listening platform, and feel free to email us. We'd love to hear from you. Social at trulyfit.app. Thanks again.